And we believe that what we've, what we've done this morning so far when we sing, that more is going on than just uh, musical sounds bouncing off walls. And we believe when we look into your word, we're reading more than just black ink on page in certain fonts. And, uh, and more that's going on than just thoughts going into our mind. We believe there's an invisible world and your Holy Spirit is real and present in this very place, in this very time. And your Holy Spirit is able to communicate to every single individual here to hear whatever you want us to hear and then to, the, to respond in whatever way you want us to respond so we can become the fully alive people that we want to be. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, it's time for uh, Calvin and Hobbes. Here's the comic for this week. Uh, Hobbes says to Calvin, uh, I can't, the glare's on me here. Aren't you supposed to be doing homework now? Calvin says, I quit doing work. Homework is bad for my self-esteem. It is. Sure, it sends the message that I uh, don't know enough. All that emphasis on right answers makes me feel bad when I get them wrong. And then it finishes this way. So instead of trying... So instead of trying to learn, I'm just concentrating on liking myself the way I am. And Hobbes says, well, your self-esteem is enhanced by remaining an ignoramus. And Calvin says, please, let's just call it informationally impaired. All right, one other one on Calvin and his excuses for homework. I should be doing my homework now. But the way I look at it, playing in the snow is, is a lot more important out here, I'm learning real skills that I can apply throughout the rest of my life, such as procrastination and rationalization, all right? Um, we all understand excuses. The question of the morning is going to be this, what's your excuse? Not what's your excuse for not doing homework, although I'm sure some of you have exercised some pretty creative excuses for not doing homework. I'm sure if we talk to those of you who are teachers or professors, you've heard some pretty creative excuses or rationalizations as to why people didn't do their homework. But the reality is, uh, we all make excuses in a lot of areas of life. Um, There's actually an entire branch of psychological science that studies excuse making. All right? Here's how they define excuses An excuse is an explanation which is aimed at eliminating or lessening the negative value of the outcome of a questionable action. So in other words, it's something we do is try to eliminate the negative outcome. And there's two primary reasons their research and their study shows as to why we use excuses. All right? We're not talking about just excuses as to why you didn't do homework, but excuses as to why you didn't rake the leaves last, you know, whatever, whatever task you were supposed to be doing, why you didn't do it. Two reasons. One, this is interesting. One is image management. We want to look good to others. And so we use excuses to look better than we know the reality is because what we didn't do, we should have done, so we don't want people to think we're bad people or slackers. All right, so we use excuses to manage our image. All right, second reason we use excuses is we hope that we'll manage the outcome. Sometimes we think that if I come up with a good excuse, my teacher, my professor, my boss will buy it, and the negative, potential negative outcome of getting a low grade or a negative job review won't happen. So if we're really intelligent, we think, we have good excuses, and that could maybe even manipulate the outcome of a potentially negative situation, all right? Now, that's what they found in years of study of psychological science. All of us already know that. Why do you use excuses, right? I mean, what are the excuses you use and uh, to not do things, 
Today, what are the excuses you use to not do the things Jesus asks us to do? This is not about guilt. This is not about manipulation. This is not about making you feel bad. This is about, let's be honest, with the things that are holding us back from an all-out embrace of the life of Jesus and the way of Jesus, all right? So here's the question we've asked before. What would your life be like if you didn't have to struggle anymore with them? We've used things like, you know, anxiety, stress, pressure, habits, people, forgiveness, uh, financial pressure, demonic assault, all kinds of things throughout the gospel of Luke that we can identify. This week we're asking this question, what would your life be like if you didn't have to struggle anymore with excuses? And it's like, ooh, ow, don't want to talk about that. Honesty, we've got to be honest. We've got to really deal with why am I not doing things? We've been doing this series for the last number of weeks called uh, Imagine You Alive, Awake, and Free. Because that is the goal of Jesus for your life and my life. His goal for you is not to be repressed, oppressed, and sour. His, His goal for you is alive, awake, and free. Everything he does, everything he says to you now and to what he's always said to us is at this to this end, to our freedom, our abundance, our being alive and awake spiritually, our being free of anything that holds us back from being the kind of fully alive, fully hearted men and women that God wants to be. And we all base it on this next passage from Luke 4 where Jesus says this, read this with me, all right? The spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This was Jesus' mission statement from the gospel of Luke and it applies to all the other gospels as well. So what we've been doing the last number of weeks is looking at situations in the gospel of Luke that all kind of come back out back to this passage. That Jesus' whole mission was our freedom, our being alive, awake, and free. His mission, just a, just a side note here, his mission was not simply to get you into heaven after you die. If that's your understanding of Christianity, it's accurate but not complete. The mission of Jesus was not, I came to get people to trust me so they could go to heaven after they die. What he said was, I came so that right now in this kind of life and in the next life, they could be fully free, fully alive, fully awake. That's what I came to do. So the whole rest of the Gospel of Luke is the stories recorded by Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke. Luke was a medical doctor at the time. He researched it carefully. These are all from eyewitness accounts. All these stories kind of come back to expanding and explaining the mission of Jesus. So in a nutshell, his mission is you. The mission of Jesus is you fully alive. All right? His mission is individual people like you and me and to see us grow from who we are to what we can be to what we will be, what we ought to be, and what we, and what we want to be, what we all dream to be. Now, go to the next slide. As we're uh, back to the thing of excuses, this is a, this is a passage of Jesus in, this, in the Gospel of Luke. And let me just read uh, the whole part of this particular passage. This is in Luke chapter 6, starting with verse 46. Why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? In other words, why do you keep saying I'm your leader, I'm your Lord, I'm your master? Why do you keep saying that to me? Why do you keep showing up, in this case, to listen to me teach or in the present day case, why do you keep showing up at church or religious things if you're not going to do what Jesus says? Jesus says, I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, 
listens to my teaching and then follows it. It's like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against the house, it stands firm because it's well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey, over and over in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says, you need to hear and obey, hear and respond. But then they also say, but if you hear and don't do what I'm saying, telling you to do, He says, if you hear and don't obey, it's like a person who builds a house without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against the house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. So we have this opening statement here of, okay, why do we keep on calling Jesus Lord, Lord, and don't do what he says? Now, what's, how about you? What is it that Jesus may be telling you to start doing or stop doing and for and you're not, you haven't taken those steps yet. And the question I'll ask is why? What's your excuse? I have my own excuses for things I don't do. All right? But every one of us, there's most likely something that you've thought before, kind of a little fleeting thought, like, I should do that. And, and the should comes out maybe of guilt, but it's not the really, I'm talking about the, the things that come out of your heart where you're like, I want to do this. I want to, I want to treat this person differently. I want to be a more forgiving person. I need to do something that, ex- that ex- expresses my forgiveness to that person, my love to my husband or my wife in a way that I haven't shown that to them. I need to be more generous with my money. I need to be more kind to those who irritate me. And there are specific things that God may be asking you to do, or there may be specific things you're doing that God's saying, you know what, that's not getting you to where you want to be in terms of alive, awake, and free. So the question is, what is it that Jesus is asking of you? And what's your excuse? Now, granted, most of us are mature enough. We don't just express the excuse to Jesus verbally because we know how ludicrous sometimes our excuses sound, right? But what is your excuse for not doing? I mean, there was a a number of years ago, I was in the... uh, What's it called? The rec, the rec center. Student rec building? What are they called? Student rec center, whatever. It's the YMCA of campus, okay? And I was walking down a long hallway, and there was somebody coming in the other direction. There was nobody else in the hallway. And this person was coming close to me. This is a person who I knew not well, but I knew them, and I knew they had strong hostility toward Christianity. And I was involved in the conversation with them, him, this person one time where he expressed that to me. Not to me, but to people in the group. So we, we didn't know each other personally. He's coming this way. I'm going that way. And as we passed, I distinctly heard the Spirit of Jesus say to me, I want you to tell that guy how much I love him. I'm just like, I kept walking, right? My excuse was, <laughs> he'll think I'm crazy. I'll feel crazy. I'll feel stupid. And I remember telling my wife a couple of days later, I feel like God want, wants me to say something to somebody and let them know that, email or a note or something, but I'm not doing it. And she said, why aren't you doing it? I just remember what I said to her. Because I'm a wimp. I'm afraid. If I do that, I, all I think of the negative possibilities, and he might think I'm weird. I might think I'm weird. He may be hostile back, which in this case, I did write a note to this person, and I got a hostile note back. Okay, ooh, that hurts. But, but why don't, what's your excuse for things you're, God's asking you to do or not do? 
Now, let me go through a couple passages in the Gospel of Luke that are interesting. Uh, excuses. These are excuse passages, all right? Luke chapter 9. I'm not going to read the passage. I'm just going to explain them. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus, uh, this is when they're getting ready to feed the 5,000. And there's all these men and women on the hillside. And Jesus says to the disciples, you feed them. And they're like, well, but we only have X number of fishes and loaves. All right? What are the times? What about those times? And then, of course, we know the rest of the story. Jesus takes, takes kind of back on himself and blesses the fish and the loaves. They multiply. They feed thousands with some stuff left over. But the initial excuse of the disciples, which we all can resonate with, when God asks us to do something, our response is, well, I, I don't have what it takes to do that. I only have this. Right? Some of us have used that excuse to God before. And maybe you're using that now to God. I don't have what it takes to do what you're asking me to do. I don't have what it takes energy-wise, emotionally. I don't have the financial means to do that. I don't have it. I only have this, right? That's an excuse that we use, that I've used to God as to why I should not or should, should not do something he's asking me to do. I don't have what it takes, all right? Next story, Luke chapter 9, uh, the same chapter, Jesus is saying to come to these individuals. He says, I want you to follow me. And the first one says, I will follow you. And actually, the text says, and they agreed. I will follow you, Jesus. But first, let me go take care of my, uh, let me go bury my father. Now, you might think, well, Jesus was discompassionate. His father hadn't died yet. What he's saying was, but first, I need to go kind of tie up family matters. And Jesus says, basically, you know what? When I'm asking you to follow me, I'm asking you to follow me. He's not saying rip yourself away and, uh, you know, totally ditch your family. But he is saying, and there's another, in the same passage, he asks somebody else, will you follow me? And they give the similar reply. But first, let me go blank, 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 blank. All right? But first. What's your but first? God, I'll follow you, but first, I really want to be married. God, I'll follow you. I will start being more generous with my money, but first, I need more money. God, Jesus, I'll follow you, but first, I really want to do this. I really want to enjoy this. I know you're asking me to do this. I don't want to. We all have our but first excuses. Um, You can fill in the blank yourself. Next one. This is when Jesus is telling them in Luke 10, he's telling the story of the Samaritan, the good Samaritan. And one of the Pharisees asked Jesus, hey, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Well, as a way to weasel out of loving your neighbor as yourself, and actually the word weasel doesn't show up in the text, but it could. (laughs) One of the Pharisees actually says to Jesus, in somewhat of a mocking, excuse-giving tone, okay, who's my neighbor? If I don't know who my neighbor is, then I really don't really, can't really fail at this exercise, right? Jesus, you're telling me to love my neighbor. Who is that? Who is my neighbor? Right? And because that's, that's the excuse of ignorance. That's the, what Calvin called uh, informationally impaired or whatever. If I don't know who my neighbor is, if I don't know what the, Jesus is talking about, he says, love, love your neighbor, then I'm no longer accountable to love my neighbor. And then Jesus tells him the story about the Samaritan taking, Samaritans were despised people. And he tells him the story of this despised 
racial group taking care of a wounded Jewish man when other religious Jewish men walked right by that man and didn't take care of him. And Jesus is saying, your neighbor may be the person you despise the most. All right. Who is that in your workplace? Who is that in your neighborhood? Who is that in your immediate or extended family? Who is that person that is really, really hard for you to show any kind of compassion, forgiveness, or love toward? Because our excuse is, well, I don't know who you're talking about. I'll love my neighbor, sure, just I don't know who it is. And Jesus says, no, you do. You know who it is. All right, another story from the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 14, Jesus is telling the story of this great banquet that he's throwing, that someone throws, and he invites all these people. These people have been invited, and it's a big feast, big festival. And then Jesus sends out people to go tell the people, hey, the banquet's now ready. You've been invited. Why don't you come on now? And the first person says, oh, I can't um, because I just bought two oxen. I need to try them out. Well, nobody buys oxen without trying them out. Nobody in that culture bought oxen without trying them out. So that's what we would call in the Greek a lame excuse, all right? A lame excuse, right? I need to go test my oxen out. Somebody else said, oh, I, I can't come now because I bought this land. I need to go inspect the land. Well, again, in that culture, nobody bought land without inspecting it first. So it was kind of a smokescreen excuse. Somebody else said, well, I can't come to the banquet now because I have a wife now and I just have other things. to." All these people had been invited and they came up with a lame excuse as to why they wouldn't carry follow through on the invitation to a banquet. It wasn't an invitation to hard labor. Invitation to a banquet is invitation to the way of the way of following Jesus. How many times have you maybe said to Jesus or what situation? Yes, I'll do that. And then when it comes, and it comes time to pull the trigger on doing what he's asking you to do, oh, I, of course, we'd never say this to Jesus because we know he'd see right through our smokescreen. Um, I can't do that now. I've got to go uh, take care of this situation. When it's a situation you already know it's going to be taken care of, but you've got to figure out some emotional reason inside yourself as to why you can't follow through on what he's asking you to do. All right? I can't because I blank. When really what we're saying is I won't. I don't want to. But again, because of the psychology of excuses, we want to make sure we feel good about ourselves, so we try to come up with some explanation as to why we can't do that. It was interesting. During this week when I was studying this, I was, I was just Googling just to kind of get a sense of things. You know, top 10 reasons, top 10 excuses to turn down a date. You know, like, what do you do when somebody asks you out and you don't really want to go, but you don't want to say, I don't want to go with you because I don't like you? I mean, it was just, I mean, Google it sometime, you'll see all kinds of, well, um, I need to take care of my dog, or, you know, I, I, one of them was, I can't go out right now, the football season's just started. <laughs> like, I mean, just all kinds of excuses, and every, maybe not everyone, but many of us have used excuses as to why we won't go out with somebody when we were dating or whatever, and we often aren't really truthful because we don't know if the truth is going to be accepted well, so... And sometimes it's probably wise to be less than truthful, but not honest in some of those ways. But, but I can't because. What's your I can't because? Okay, Jesus, I know you want me to, you know, we've talked about how do you serve those in need, give to those in need. Well, I, I don't have time. I can't because. 
I don't really, I don't really know people that are needy. I don't know where to go. I don't know. So again, the excuse of ignorance. I just don't know. So if I, if I don't know anybody who's needy, then God can't hold me accountable to be that, to do that. Next one. This is just a simply, I'll just ask you to fill in the blank for these. What is your, if only, what is you, your but first? What is it you're holding back on Jesus right now? And please hear me. I'm not, a, I'm not, a, I'm not trying to get us into guilt mode or guilt motivation. I want to remind you that Jesus' whole goal for you and me is to be alive, awake, and free. And because sometimes we don't have a full trust of that, we don't know if we really trust Jesus. We don't know if his love really doesn't fail, like we sang earlier. We're not quite sure of that. So we kind of go into control mode of our own life. And we won't really take that step because if only, well, Jesus, if only, Jesus, if you knew, Jesus, what that person did to me, if you knew what they did to me, Jesus, you could understand why I can't forgive them. Jesus, if you knew, if you knew the financial stress that I'm under right now, Jesus, if you knew, of course we don't say that because we know, Jesus, if you knew that, you'd know why I can't give any of my money away. Jesus, if you knew, if you knew the way my wife drives me crazy, you would not tell me to love her as, as you love the church. Well, of course, we know those excuses are lame, but we, all, we still have them. We don't verbalize them, but they're stirring in our spirits. When Jesus says, you know, serve the poor, husbands love your wives, wives love your husbands, um, give, forgive, all those things. And we have this, Jesus, if only you, well, okay, Jesus, I'll get to that. But first, can you take care of my needs or, I'll, you know, I'll forgive that person. But first, could they at least acknowledge to me what they did? Because I can't forgive unless they go first. I mean, we have all these conditions. I, I can still remember one of my, uh, another one of, my, one of my many wrestling matches with God was when I felt like there was time in my marriage, and uh, hopefully it's, I, it's still the reality, that I feel like God's asked me to give more to my wife, be more life-giving to my wife. And there was one time, it was probably about seven years ago, I remember saying to, I remember God saying to me, I, you need to be more giving to your wife. And here was the nature of my argument with God. Okay, God, I had to remind God I was a math major. I'm, I was a math major, God, and I understand that if I give away and there's not the equal reciprocation of getting from people, my tank eventually gets lower. I understand how math works. If 10 go out and only one goes in, sooner or later the tank is empty. And I remember telling God, well, I, I'd be happy to give 10 units of energy and emotional strength to my wife but I need at least 10 back from her or at least five from her and five from somebody else because God, I know how math works and I don't want the tank to drop. And I had this ongoing argument with God and I felt like God finally said to me, will you trust me that if you pour out your energy toward your wife or your kids or others and you don't have the expectation of tit for tat reciprocation, can you trust me, Jesus said, that I can fill your tank? And it was like kind of one of these aha moments that I should have had aha 50 years ago. It's like, oh, I, ne I never thought about that. And I don't know if I trust that because I can't see it. See, because I can, 
and I probably do more than I I can manipulate my wife to try to get things from her. Get pity, get emotion, get support, get encouragement. And we've all learned how to do that. At least I've, I'm really good at that. I'm, there are a few husbands probably are good at it too, so I don't know. We've learned how to do that. But the reality is, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to be trying to manipulating people to get the strokes I need or the, you know, whatever. I want to be able to give of myself and then trust that Jesus will fill whatever is in my tank that has been given away. Because isn't that what he said, that we're going to be streams of living water, overflowing of abundance? And, but we always, well, if only, if, but first, if only, but first, if only, but first. So what's your, if only, but first? What's the issue that you may sense God saying to you, Jesus saying to you, walk this way. It's the way of life. It's the way of alive, awake, and free. But you have to do this. I'm, at, I'm telling you to do this, Jesus says. Jesus has a right to tell you what to do. All right? Jesus has a right to tell you what to do. And what he said in the Bible, whether it's about your money, your sex life, your habits, your love, your hobbies, your career, whatever it is that he says that applies to those areas of your life, he has a right to tell you how to live your life. He has a right to tell me how to live my life because his goal in the end is us being fully alive, awake, and free. And the whole process is enveloped in his love. We don't trust that. We don't believe that, but that's where he is. Now, we'll close with this passage here. And again, the question I want to just keep in front of you is, um, what's your excuse? And I, I believe everybody here wants to live life with no excuses and no regrets in the sense of your life with God. One, I'm going to close this passage from Ephesians. And the reason I'm doing this is this. More often than not, the reason for my not doing something Jesus wants me to do, the core of my excuse is I don't think I have the willpower to make it happen. And if Christianity is all about willpower and personal discipline, we all lose sooner or later. But what the promise of Jesus that Paul reminds us of is you follow in obedience. And let's read this passage because he talks about the inner resources of the Spirit. All right? I pray, Paul says, that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength. So the excuses you have are accurate if all you have to draw on is your human strength, willpower, and emotional abilities. But Jesus, but Paul says he's praying is that God will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down deep into God's love and keep you strong. Next slide. And may you have the power to understand as well as all God's people should how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ though it is too great to understand fully. And then read this last line with me because this is, again, this is, the, this is the vision of Jesus, all right, out loud. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Don't raise your hand, but who would not want that kind of life? Who would not want to be said of them, well, I... Oh, he is complete with all the fullness and life of power that comes from God. Of course, we don't talk that way. But who would not, like, who would not want that to be said about them? Who would not like to feel complete and full with life and power that comes from God? That's the promise of God. That's the vision of Jesus for you. 
And the challenge is no more excuses. Take the next step, whatever it is that Jesus asks you to do. Deal with one excuse at a time. Don't try to get them all. Don't try to wipe them all out at once. It'll overwhelm you and you'll quit. Deal with one excuse at a time. Because Jesus will carry out his vision. He will transform you into a person who is fully alive, full of the power um, that comes from God alone. Let's pray. Jesus, we, uh, we acknowledge that uh, in the old King James language, we're frail and we're weak. And like I said earlier, uh, I know I can be, and I suppose many of us here can just be wimps. We lack the courage and we're afraid when you ask us to follow you into a certain way of life, a certain way of forgiveness, a certain way of generosity, a certain way of, of suffering. God, we, it, it scares us to death. But God, I do believe of, of my brothers and sisters here this morning, if they're like me, we really don't want to live life with these little excuses that keep us from being fully, uh, fully unhindered to you. We really do want to be the kind of people that can say nothing is holding me back. So God, whatever obstacles those are, would you expose those to us? And we know you do that with kindness and gentleness, but you also do it with clarity and conviction. So would you help us, give give us ears to hear today, this week, whatever you need to do to set us free, would, you underst- would we understand you as that's, uh, understand that that's what you're doing in our lives? So would you, give, would you block the work of the enemy in our hearts and our thoughts? Would you block his uh, distorted words and mocking words that may distort what you're trying to say to us? And would you give us clarity and would you set us free? And uh, we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, we, uh, we close every week with communion and